0: Make sure you're doing enough reps, either in the gym, in business, actually move the
1: needle yeah. before you worry about anything else. If you're complaining about how shit your life is and you're not putting in the work, why, why are you complaining? Like,
0: now I have to work during the day, picking up whatever jobs but I still had that dream of trying yeah. to make it in the you NRL.
1: Know, you're in control, put in the work first, like get that grind in and then start to look okay how can I refine the little things.
0: With me or you got injured now, like we can still work yeah, yeah, but you're not doing your trade or what you love. So
1: I know the physical recovery is, is tough from a season-ending injury but talk to me about how how tough it is mentally to come back from a seizing injury
0: sometimes people like you turn to the drinks and just fuck it let's yeah, drink dull it down you know what right. i mean like Definitely. you know you can go down
1: that route which i probably have done a few times as yes. well i never want to go back to that place because like you were saying like when you're in that depression you feel like it's never going to end
0: you know if you see that uh, mental health as an opponent how are you going to beat that person okay i'm going to exercise i'm going to eat the good food okay just to put myself in the right frame of mind
1: All right, we're back, episode 20-ish or something. I never really know exactly what episode we're up to and recording. We're just chatting quickly off air. I'm fucking really pumped for this episode as someone who grew up as a massive sports fan and footy fan and now someone who's really into personal development. This is going to be an epic podcast. We have Troy Savage, a former professional footy player, had a massive journey trying to come through the grades, Roosters, Para, started over in NZ. I kind of want to talk to you about that whole journey and now the founder of Savage Mobility. Um, everything mobility training, you're a mobility coach. And I think one of the reasons I'm most excited to, to have you on and why there's going to be so much value in it for so many people is because I was looking into doing some research and you said something that makes so much sense why this whole mobility space is so good. It's like because no one fucking does it. No one does it. So if anyone commits the time and effort to, to, to challenging themselves to be better in this way, you're going to get those gains so quickly, those beginner gains, and it really can change your life really quickly. So – that's why I'm super excited to talk to you, man. But thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. And uh yeah, bro. Thanks again. Thanks, brother. Let's go. Let's I know let's, let's do dive it. into it. Let's do it. So much to talk about. Um, where I want to start for you, bro. Let's let's start at the start, man. I want to know about your journey, everything that happened before you came over to Australia back in NZ. Talk to me about where, where you grew up and you you started off as a rugby boy, as a lot of a lot of the the boys in New Zealand do wanting to be in an all black. Talk to me about that and kind of what life was back there and through school, I'm kind of interested. Were you really into the education stuff, or was it all all sports, all footy for you? Man, you've uh, prepared very well, bro. Oh, I'm, gotta... uh, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> I'm pretty
0: impressed, you know. So nah. So my yeah, obviously, I grew up in yeah. New Zealand, and yeah. so probably for the first 18 years of my life, um, yeah, I was good at sports yeah. coming through primary school, yeah. intermediate, and high school, and I sort of enjoyed my rugby as you yeah. do as a young New Zealand New yeah. Zealander. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, and then sort of I went to high school where rugby was huge, mm. um, just that whole culture around it. And, um, yeah, I wanted to be an All Blacks type yeah. of thing, and I went down that route. Really enjoyed my sports. Um, but, yeah, the pressures that come along with it as well and trying mm. to be a professional, you don't realise that not many people do actually make it. Oh, and but um, less
1: than like 0.1%, right? right? Yeah,
0: exactly. But as you're coming through, you don't know that. You do not think, you think about You've just got that. the blinkers on, and you're like, I just need to be there, and if yeah. I don't, I'm going to. I don't know what is going to happen, you know, yeah, yeah. and go through those different journeys. Mm. So, yeah, sports was a big part of my life in that first 18 yeah, years.
1: Yeah. And one thing I'm curious about as well, um, you grew up in NZ, Anze- What was the town called that you grew up in? Uh, Napier. Napier. And um, there, was a, there was a bit of, like, gang culture around back when you were young. I want to know as well, did that affect you, the men that you've become being exposed to that? I know me growing up in, in Western Sydney, not like the fanciest areas and going to a public school where there'd be fights every day and people smoking in the, in the toilets. I feel like that actually gave me a good platform to, to handle myself in the real world because you just kind of have that street smarts, just how to work in different situations. Do you feel like growing up with some of that around you kind of impacted you when you were growing up and made you the man you are?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's sort of, yeah, that whole street smarts yeah. thing. Yeah. Um. And it's funny when you go back and think about it. Like, mm. there's two main gangs, right? There's yeah. the Black Power and there's the Mongol Mall. One's blue and one's red. Yeah, where we ble- uh, where we grew up was a Black Power area. Yeah. So. I wouldn't wear red, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it was just like you just don't wear red. And, yeah. and all my look, I'm wearing blue, blue today. Now, and I, I don't know, even know. Like, I got lovely. blue shoes on. I got a blue shirt, yeah. and that's my favorite color. Yeah. And then unknowing, unknowingly to me, like you just pick up these things and go, okay, I don't need to go down that area, or if I say this or wear that, so you sort of get a little bit of street smarts in yeah. that sense. And yeah. I think, yeah, just knowing sort of how to navigate that world is yeah super important as you get older do you as well. feel
1: like um was footy a bit of an outlet for the, for some of the kids to not get you know too into that gang space like was it a good opportunity for kids or like parents wanted their their children to focus on something like footy that kind of kept them away from from getting into that world too much
0: yeah because it's easier to slip down mm. those alleyways like going down the bad path i've had a few mates i like obviously joined the gangs yeah, and whatnot, yeah. but um
1: yeah, sport
0: sport was my outlet. Rugby mm-hmm. was my outlet. It teaches you discipline and mm-hmm. things like that, training. Um, you know, you can't drink too much because yeah. you've got um, sports in the weekend. Tuesday, Thursdays is always training. So yeah. just building those routines and yeah. um, unknowingly, like, you know, mm-hmm. but they just inbuilt in you that's from a young the, age.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's some of the biggest things, man. I, I just thought of it now. I haven't stopped to think about this for a long time, but me growing up playing sports as much as I did and, like, it's the little things like the routine of going to training and, like, you're always keen for the game on the weekend. But even the little things like making yourself go to training when you don't want to and, and going that structure and listening to some bloke, put, like, smash you, make you run in laps, push-ups, going through all the drills. You don't realize it as a kid, but it's actually teaching you a lot and giving you a – building a great foundation. That's why I think sports for kids, man, is so important to development.
0: Yeah, 100%, mm. I agree too. I push my son into sports and all kids as well because like, just turning up on time, that's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a skill. Some people don't learn that, yeah. you know, in their yeah. childhood and it um, develops into their adulthood. Like yeah. you turn up to work late, yeah. but from a young age, you know, yeah. five minutes early, still sort of 10 minutes late type yeah. thing for trainings. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so let's talk about the, 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 the footy in school. You're rugby first. What's it like, I'm sure you've been asked this many times, obviously as someone who grew up in Australia and Sydney, League is way bigger than Union f- for us, so I was always straight into um, League. Massive uh, doggies fan. Sorry if you if you're not a doggies fan, probably not. I imagine. Um, but what's the difference when you're a kid? Kind of paint the picture for me because I've always been curious of like how massive is Union compared to League when you're when you're a kid growing up? Is it really like up on the pedestal so much higher? It's like a religion. It's like yeah.
0: everyone plays it, and there's ten grades for every age group type thing. Wow. So I played when I was five, and then. There's like golden oldies where people are playing over fifty, you know what I mean? So and there's like I don't know, it's just um it's hard to explain, but every adult nearly plays rugby in New (laughs) Zealand. Even when they're like thirties and forties, you're still playing the the olden grades and there's like fifth grade for like adult um, rugby as well where right. here in league there's not like that once you sort of can't make it there's maybe one competition where yeah. people still play in yeah. but over there everyone yeah, just it's keeps like, playing
1: it's like semi-professional it's like c-grade or country yeah, comps and exactly. there's not really much else you can do nah. and it's, even in league there's like yeah you get to like c-grade and there's like very different levels of talent in that one division because it's just not as big here um but what about like when was the Transition for you from from union to league and what what brought that decision decision about for you? So my
0: older brother was playing rugby league and he got picked up by the roosters from a scout And um, my last game of rugby union was my first game of adult rugby league So I finished my last game of like first 15 um high school rugby uh, rugby And then I went to my first adult game of rugby league same day. Yeah, that's nice after that and then um I probably paid played five games of rugby league I was only eighteen, I was playing against adults. Um and then we went to a tournament and there was a team from Australia that brought over like New Zealand players mm-hmm. from Australia to New Zealand and their manager was the scout for the Roosters, Ar- Arthur Arthur My norm. definitely model. know. Him. I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> ask you
1: about that. Getting scouted by Arthur Beetson, that's pretty epic, right? Yeah, claim the fame. <laughs> great
0: great guy. Um so really
1: good at identifying talent.
0: Yeah, so he um yeah, from there you like offered me a contract and, yeah, it was just out of the blue. My brother had been um, – mm. he was going to the same club at the Roosters yep. and then, yeah, I was 18 then and they said, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So okay. you,
1: you didn't have much – like you didn't spend a season playing, a full season playing league in NZ before you came over. They scouted you just as a talent for essentially what you can do in the field, like physical attributes and they thought – you know they can teach you like the, the subtle differences of the game
0: yes yeah, so i was an outside back in rugby union and yes. i think that translates a lot better to rugby league yeah. whereas if i was a prop or a lock you know mm-hmm. that transitions like too hard i feel so i was a fullback in rugby union yeah. and then i went to fullback as yeah. rugby league but then ended up like wing center yeah yeah um yeah so when i first played rugby league i was trying to not place the ball back like the <laughs> union when i was getting tackled yeah, yeah. so i just had to like have all those little nuances mm. that the differences between those two sports and just pick them up.
1: And how long did that transition take for you to feel comfortable playing league rather than union the sport you grew up with playing your whole life? Probably
0: two years. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to go into a real good system with a real good coach and jersey flag at the Roosters, mm. uh, Jim Dimick, oh, uh, nice. ex-Bulldogs. Yeah, so yeah, legend, yeah. Um, just a super smart coach. And he sort of taught us um, just all the skills and we did a lot of video sessions, so I really picked up like the footy IQ part yeah. real well.
1: Because you went into that organization, the Roosters, was it right after the grand final win or was it after their grand final loss? Like they were they right. I just like, lost after to- uh, yeah. Bulldogs oh, that year and I, I went the next up. season. <laughs> <laughs> but you won did you win 20, 2003 or two thousand two? Yeah, they like, bet the Warriors in two thousand and two. Yeah. 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 So, but yeah.
0: yeah, the first day I walked into the Roosters changing rooms, so I go to the left hand side and there's craig wing brett finch craig fitzgibbon anthony Minocello, nathan Kalis, um adrian morley yeah um like superstars and i was just like the game. oh my god and then even on the other side was like a Premier league side and those players had all played um mm. eventually were going to play yeah. nrl as well who was in
1: the who was in the reserve craig team at that point
0: uh cia um the payer brothers like Shane Shackleton yeah, and yeah, like yeah. players like that, yeah, just coming through before they made um, NRL.
1: Yeah, and I got a question. The way you reacted now is like, "Oh, well, these are massive legends." Obviously, you you know what you with your mindset now that there's so much knowledge you could soak up from these guys and just being around them and watching how they prepare and watching their mindset and watching the way they you know go about their business to prepare and become the best athlete they can. How were you at that point as a young eighteen, nineteen year old? Did you were you aware of where you were and did you soak up all the information as best as you could? Or do you think maybe looking back, you, you weren't, you didn't fully grasp that opportunity with like, fuck, these are the absolute legends of the game, you know? Yeah, no, nah, I didn't,
0: definitely didn't grasp it. it
1: I was just more in awe of them yeah, and I just,
0: yeah. yeah, I couldn't, um, I think I was real shy at that stage. I was, I'm quite introverted. Yeah. And, um, Yeah, I wouldn't go talk to them. Like, I'd just be like, if they talk, if they talk to me, I'd talk to them. But I wish I had the confidence that Mm. I would now. I'd Mm. be like, hey, how do you do this little play and step up to like you'd be running drills with them. Mm. So, and I'd always just like hang at the back, you know. But there was like a lot of opportunities that maybe I missed because I
1: was being like shy and introverted at that time. Yeah, and what about the transition not from from Union to League? How did you handle the transition from NZ to Sydney? Was that a big leap for you or did you settle in pretty quickly?
0: I was all right because I had my older brother. I think that was the main part. He only stayed for the first year, but that was enough to, you know. Settle you in and, a bit? Um, we had a pretty good, like, we had an apartment. They paid us, like, we oh, didn't have sick. to work and all that stuff. So that was sort of taken oh, care nice. of. Um But, yeah, as you sort of get to that 18 and living by yourself, you got to work out things like cooking <laughs> dinner and doing your own washing you and stuff with, like that. The, yeah. the
1: family back home, where? Yeah,
0: mum used to take care of all that stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, big change.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, What about – so talk to me about the journey. Okay, the, I want to – we'll get through the, all the mobility stuff and kind of what you're doing now, but I want to unpack kind of what made you who you are today and the lessons you learned along the way. Talk to me about your journey from footy. So you land, you're at the Roosters, Um, you, you're going through that transition phase, you got a really good – you're like you're working under Jim Dimmick, he's, he's obviously an awesome coach. What were the next steps? What was your first year like in league and how long were you at the Roosters?
0: I was at the Roosters for about two or three years, um, playing under twenties. So the the way to get the NRL was like under twenties. Then twenties prim- was massive back then. Yeah, right? nah, it wasn't. Oh, was actually.
1: that before? Yeah, it was before, like the NYC before. So that in
0: twenties was... Premier league and then first grade. Okay. And then I sort I felt like I got a bit stuck when um, the under twenties comp came in and became the main thing. Yeah. I was sort of in that age where. Um, I couldn't play 20s because I just was yeah. a year or two older when, and then they pushed that real hard. So yeah. I sort of fell out into the New South Wales Cup mm. and had to go like part-time. Yeah, um, I still like trained full-time with the Roosters at one stage and I felt like I was just about to get my debut and um, me and my mate were training part-time with the Roosters, yeah. um, still sort of under 20s, a little bit of full-time. He got his debut that year and then I was like, Okay, I'm about two <laughs> weeks away. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm two weeks away from yeah. maybe debuting. And then the coach retired. Who was the coach at he that co- point? Uh, Chris Anderson, I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah, yeah they are having a horrible season. And then Freddie Fitler came in mm. and then sort of he restructured everything. Yeah, and an they were sort of on the outer anyway. So, yeah. yeah, and then that sort of put me down that route of just playing in New South Wales Cup because I was too old for 20s, obviously, yeah, yeah. then. And just... Yeah, that was a hard because mm. now I have to work during the day, picking up whatever jobs. But I still had that dream of
1: trying yeah. to make it in the NRL. And what sort of jobs were you doing like along the way? Because it's it's a lot better now. Like if you're a top 30 contract, they like, isn't like 150K yeah. minimums. Like it's yeah. really good. What, what was it like? What sort of jobs were you having to do to support yourself when you were like hustling to, to get that NRL debut? It's like construction jobs, mm.
0: you know, labour, Yeah, labouring, digging holes and stuff like that, traffic control. Um, so you'd work all that all day yeah. during the day and then you'd
1: do your footy at night. Did then, you find that when you're at these jobs, all you're thinking about is footy? Oh, I just hated
0: it. I was just yeah. like,
1: cause I had mates on big contracts. <laughs> I was living with two guys and they were like, playing first
0: grade yeah. I was going, oh, they got it so easy. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I wish I had it like that.
1: It's like, you know how, um, you hear like anyone goes down the storm and Bellamy will make them do like two months, two weeks or a month of like an apprenticeship or a trade like on the tool. So they realize how lucky they are to be playing rugby league. Do you feel like, um, you, you like, it gave you a sense of gratitude to be able to be around people like that? Or did you, did you think like that back then? Or was that something nah. that you developed more No, nah, no, nah, I, I was like, just sucking the whole yeah. time I was
0: working, you know. But now I understand. Yeah. Like, it's taught me lessons that I have only learnt in my 30s. Yeah. But in my 20s, no. I was yeah. just hating life and just digging holes in me.
1: I, why is the world against me <laughs> <laughs> digging <laughs> yeah. these holes, you know? Oh, bro, trust me, I get it. <laughs> I say all this stuff now and I ask you these questions, but when I was 18, 19, 20, there's no way I would have been thinking like that either, bro. It's yeah. just part of the process, okay, you go from there to Para. Was Para straight after Roosters or was there anywhere in between? Yeah,
0: there was a big gap between. So I went to, from the Roosters, sort of that system, I went up to Gold Coast, yep. um, Burley Bears, like Queensland Q-cup Cup. Stuff. Yeah, yep. yeah, nice. And then I broke my leg in probably the fourth or fifth game. So then I had to go back to New Zealand because I couldn't work in that, had um, no money. So had to rehab my broken leg. I didn't even do proper physio, I think. I think yeah. I did like five sessions of physio and just, it myself yeah. after that um and then i've sort of played newtown jets okay. which is sort of our yeah. local area here yeah, 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 um where else and then i went to went with so that's probably like a seven yeah six seven year period between like full-time roosters towards yeah. getting to paris so i call those like the dark ages <laughs> the dark times of sort of yeah. yeah working and trying to figure out how to get back into like a full-time nrl contract
1: what do you think looking back now, what was the hardest day in your rugby league career?
0: Probably, yeah, that broken leg or any type of injury where it was a season ending injury, and that was my season ending injury because I was trying to work my way back. And just dealing with injury is a hard thing when you know you're not going to play the rest of the year out and your year's over, mm. and you know you've got to impress to, yeah. you know, earn that next contract because I was just on one year contracts pretty mm. much the whole time. And that's difficult because you go through like the whole season cycle of, okay, off-season, you're going to build yourself up for a big pre-season, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you've got a start of the year. You want to really play good and impress coaches so you get a contract. You're getting to the end of the year. There's no nibbles, you know. You're not getting anything, and yeah. then the season's over. You play finals, but I know now I've got to search for another club yeah. or oh, where's my next opportunity come from? And it's, yeah, just all those things. Those things are so like very emotional. Like yeah. you're going up and down on like emotional roller coaster as you're playing good or bad or yeah. contract or no contract. It's like if
1: you if you're on one of your contracts and you're not established as a name yet, you're always fighting for your next opportunity. You're always fighting to be you know the starting player or to go up the next grade. And we're just chatting briefly off air before we started recording about um like my brother who who, who's who's um had a similar journey to you he's never been top 30 or never trained full-time with uh the the first teams or or new Wales cup but he same thing he was coming through flag and um harold Matz, played some internationals for italy um and then did did an acl did all the rehab got like a month back from return injured it again at training shattered him obviously as you can imagine and like he built himself back up Ended up playing some Sydney Shield. He's taking a year off now. He's still young. He's like 22. But my question for you is, particularly now everything you've gone through and all the experience you've had working with athletes since you've um, retired, I know the physical recovery is is tough from a season-ending injury, but talk to me about the men- how tough it is mentally to come back from a season-ending injury.
0: Yeah, I think that's the hardest part. There's the mental part because, yep. like I said before, your season's over and, like, that's your, like your life, you yeah. know. There's no other job. Sort of in the world that, you know, you, if you, well, me or you got injured now, like we can still work. Yeah, yeah, But you're not doing your trade or what you love. So, just um, yeah. I think I was at a young age where sometimes you don't have the tools mm. or the maturity to um, to really go through and think about, hey, is this good for me or is this? Sometimes people like you turn to the drink. You want to just fuck it. Let's yeah, drink. Dull it down. You know right? what I mean? Like yeah. let's. I want to change the mood I'm in. So you just go, yeah. okay, let's go out and go partying, which is even worse for your injury. Yeah. You know, you can go down that route, which I probably went down a few times of as course, well. Yeah. like You know, it's easy to get on the drink and just say, oh, who cares? I'm not Especially playing anyway. As
1: a young, like early 20s kid, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you think at the time I, I've reflected on my, on my own, like, 20s, early 20s, late teens, and, like, you, you always think you're such an adult, you're so mature in the moment, but looking back, you were so far away from anything resembling a, a fully developed adult. Um, so I think it makes it hard. Now, with injuries, there is – I wanted to ask you about it. Obviously, I'm sure injuries have always been around in, in terms of rugby league, but it seems like to me that injuries, particular season-ending in injuries, ACLs is a big one, syndesmosis, they're becoming more prevalent. Do you Do you think – or that they are becoming more prevalent? And is there any sort of training athletes can do to help reduce the likelihood of getting an injury?
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, there's two sort of ways of thought. Is it yeah. the club's responsibility to look after the athlete or is it the athletes? And I think it's both. Yeah. Um. But I think the athlete themselves needs to take on a bit more responsibility. Yeah. Um, I try and get them to look at themselves as a business. Mm. Like if, how do you want to treat your business? Do you want to just, do whatever this guy tells you, or do you want to, like, improve it yourself? Because yeah, okay. if you add on two more years to your career, like, and you're a professional NRL player, like, that's what could be half a million dollars extra exactly. for, you know, you to earn. Um, can you play better because you're not injured? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, the more games you play, obviously you're going to play a bit better, so your worth goes up, like, all those little things. So can you invest, like, 30 minutes or 10 to 30 minutes each day just to make sure you're not getting injured and doing, like, little rehab exercises, stretches, what I obviously do, Um, just to prepare yourself better because, like, footy is like a physical game. Like, you never know when your career could be over. Like, there's guys just getting head knocks now and the the research is saying, yeah, you shouldn't keep continuing playing. So, you know, and there's ACLs you can do too and you're gone. there's You never know when it's over. So it's just... Doing the right things and having a right a good crack at it so you're preparing yourself.
1: And how much when you're at an NRL club, um, obviously they have strength and conditioning coaches, but do they put a lot of focus on mobility? I'm sure it's probably getting more ingrained now in what they do, but what was it like when you were coming through? Was there a lot of flexibility and mobility work getting done?
0: Nah, there was pretty much zero, I've, yeah. I felt, when I first came through. Um, but that whole space of strength and conditioning um, from this 10-year space is just, like, skyrocketed with everything. But I think that comes along with the professionalism of the game and the money going into the game and what these players are worth. Like, there's million-dollar players now, so you better look after them. And you sort of see now in the NRL where um, an injury can – you know, ruin your whole season. Like if players are going, teams are going into the finals, say like Melbourne where yeah. Ryan Pappenhausen, he's out. He's yeah. them, like one of their main players. So, yeah. you know, they didn't make top four maybe because of that reason. So it's super important. His was obviously um, just the impact injury that you can't. It looked so nice. Yeah, man. that knee looked ugly. So like those impact injuries you can't, but maybe the soft tissue ones, like yeah. Roosters pick up picked up, um, calf injuries and that maybe you can do a little bit around it. Sometimes yeah. you can't, but it's just putting the right systems in place to give you your best opportunity. Yeah. I feel
1: for, for me, from an uneducated standpoint, I haven't done no training. It's like, I feel like a lot of people obviously the professional athletes at the highest level, I'm sure now everything's done programmed for them, but so many people tend to just jump straight into lifting heavy straight away, like isolation training without building a, a solid foundation or core or the flexibility, or mobility, or the strength in your bones and ligaments. First, do you see that a lot when people come to work with you. Why they're so tight, or so many injuries that people just dive straight into heavy weight training before really building like a, a foundation underneath it.
0: Yeah, but some people just don't know how their body is supposed to work yeah. or until they actually come across things. You know, your body's going to tell you if yeah. it's not working properly with an injury. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, your body's like, say you're going to lift a heavy weight. Your body's going to do that. But is it going to do it in the right way? Is the thing. Yeah. You know what I mean. So people come away sore. It's probably um, a heads up that your body's you're not doing it properly, or you get injured. You know all these little things that your body's trying to tell you. But are you going to listen, or are you going to not listen?
1: I just think back to when I like I started going to the gym from when I was like from 16 to 26 every day, and like I had no fucking idea what I was doing. And I know something. Don't worry. No, just like with my mates and. I was like – I was always one of the smaller kids in the team. I started a half back, moved to full back, and like I'm playing with these big Tongan boys, some small yeah. boys. I'm like, oh, here we go. So you're at the gym trying to like put on as much size as you can, not knowing what you're doing. And one thing that I know you struggled with and was probably the biggest thing for me, and I think there's a couple of things impacted. I think the way I used to sit, particularly in school, and then lifting heavy with deadlifts and squats and stuff, something that really fucked me for a long time was lower back pain. Now – is something you've struggled with, right? And, and I imagine a lot of people that come and work with you struggle with. Talk about, um, how you like what's some good ways to alleviate that lower back pain and that tightness because it affects so many people.
0: Yeah, so that's sort of how I started. I had my lower back pain, I was what 27? Yeah, I was just waking up out of bed every day with a sore lower back, and I'm like I'm 27, I'm not like 47 or 57, but I feel that way. And I was like, there's got to be another way, and um. So that sort of started my journey down that mobility track. And I just felt like a big part of it was tight hips. As um, soon as I started loosening up my hips, because um, that obviously is connected to everything. And um, once I started moving those um, real well, then it alleviated my back pain. So that's where I start everyone instead yeah. of starting at lower back strengthening and yeah. whatnot, like that. Like a lot a lot of my people have got super tight hips. I do a little assessment, I just go, yeah, just fix that first and then we'll see if that lower back pain is nine times out of 10 it's not there anymore. Yeah,
1: I feel like that's where I'm at now. My probably biggest thing is tight hips. I do like uh I do a lot of martial arts. I've been doing martial yeah. arts for probably 6 years and because of the amount of kicking and stuff we do and probably the lack of stretching, I do in my in my own personal life my hips are really, really tight, like my hip flex is like all the way through my psoas, all that region's so stiff and so tight. But I'll tell you what it was for me, I don't know if if you've had many other people like this. I had when I went to it actually, Cairo helped me with 90, 95% of my lower back pain. I was like arching the, the back of my lower back and I needed to roll my hips forward and engage my glutes. And when I did that, I'm telling you, bro, if you fix your lower back pain, it changes your life. Changed my life, man. Big time.
0: Yeah, I deal like people every day, obviously, with it. Um, And they're just so grateful, like that feeling when they say, yeah, I don't got any lower back pain. That's what I live for now. Like, (laughs) I'm like, yes, or any other types of pain. Like, I'm so um, tight through my hammies, I've touched my toes in the first time ever in my whole life. And yeah. I'm like, wow, like, yeah. you know, just getting those things. But stretching's never sexy. It's the last thing you think of, and it's the thing you do not want to do. No.
1: and it's like if you talk about doing a proper stretch and holding it for a minute, oh, my <laughs> God, it feels like 10 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, no. it's
0: tough training. People don't realize, like, they, the first thing some people say is, like, oh, I didn't know mm. it was going to be this hard. And I'm like, yeah, I can I can make it hard for you. Don't worry about that. (laughs)
1: Um, And I wanted to ask you, bro, you put out so much epic content. So it's kind of hard to recreate on a podcast, obviously. But you do a lot of like really cool like beginner challenges or beginner exercises. What's some really good things that beginners can do that want to improve their mobility or flexibility that isn't too difficult that they can do at home? And of course, they can jump on Instagram and check out how you do some of these. But what's some really good ones that beginners can try at home?
0: So the main one is the couch stretch. It's where I sort of started. Um, There was a CrossFit guy at the time, Kelly Sturette, that really promoted that. And I went, okay, I'm going to begin there. So everyone, I get them to do that. So it's pretty much a hip flexor stretch where you're one knee's on the ground and one knee's up and you just sort of lean back a little and it just stretches through your quad and hip flexor. I find um, that sorts out a lot of problems just doing that. But the main thing is the consistency, right? Yeah. you can do it every day, which is a good thing for hips. Um, different parts of the body, obviously, um, the groins take a lot more time to recover, so you yeah. can only do them maybe
1: one to two times a week. Hips, okay,
0: or all day. But a lower back, maybe it depends on how how tight you're pulling up after. But bro, yeah. that,
1: that's interesting. I think I need to come to a session with you, legit, <laughs> because there, I, I didn't. I would never played like proper professional rugby, or not even semi professional rugby. I think I made West once. Um, but one injury I had from my footy career, uh, is I was so dumb, man. I was at a footy training midwinter, freezing cold night. Get, they hadn't even warmed up yet. The boys are kicking goals from like the 40 meter line. I'm like, bro, let me at it. Kicked it, bro. My groin just went and I remember hopping from the 40 meter line and I lay down under the in goals and I, it was the worst pain I've ever got from an injury. It's was probably only out for three weeks, but I still feel, that my right groin is not good. And when I was trying to work on it, I was stretching it every day. So maybe that wasn't the right thing to do for a groin, right? Yeah, don't stretch groins every day. They need
0: maybe one good, good stretch a yeah. week and then it needs to recover before you can hit it again. Uh, but you'll find like the groin is mm-hmm. one that takes a long time to recover. So
1: what's the process for someone that once that comes and starts working with you? Tell me the process between like, how do you analyze what they need and then how do you build a program around that for them?
0: Um, so yeah through my instagram um they come to me and they reach out i yeah. ask them a few questions cuz some people um come to me with like back pain that's maybe like disc injury real bad that yeah. i shouldn't um, you know yeah. sort because by just general back pain like they haven't like broken their back or something like that yeah. so I sort of screen them first with a few questions yeah. and then I get them through an assessment can you touch your toes yeah. how what does your couch stretch look like um, can you lift your arms overhead? just real basic stuff there's another one a pancake and it sort of gives me a good idea of okay and then I sort of set out the program for them and um, it's pretty much just just doing it now I've, had like i think two and a half thousand people through so i've oh. seen that many all shapes and sizes i've heard all the problems <laughs> i've heard all the excuses and yeah you just do this and we'll sort your yeah, body out and that's,
1: that's like the biggest missing link i feel like for me i'm always looking for how i find the next one percent two percent three percent improvement in my life and like people always go to like the sexy things like meditation or breath work or ice baths which are I wouldn't say sexy, they're fucking really hard, but like mobility because like it takes a bit of time and you got to be consistent each day. gets forgotten. But part of a good stretching or mobility program, would you be doing something every day or?
0: Yeah, so the way I set out my program is Monday to Friday. And since I started the program for athletes, Mm -hmm. like I obviously took into account the amount of training they do. They do one weight session and they do one field session, maybe even another third session. So I couldn't give them another session that was 60 minutes. So I had to go down to at least 15 minutes was yep. enough time to get some consistency and sort of built it around that. Yeah. And then that seems to fit into a lot of people's life because yeah. they're so busy with work. And usually they like to go and do some weights as well. Like I don't say replace your training. I just say this is a complement to that to make it better and your life better as well.
1: Yeah. And um, with, with that, what I wanted to ask was, when you're working with people is it all do you in person do you do stuff like can you do mobility coaching via zoom and 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 stuff or is it all in person with you mainly
0: or online online yeah oh, so yeah, i've yeah. got an app and um you just do this this and this yeah. and just trust in the process yeah. like it's pretty much like um just like a strength strength program you do yeah. you do your squats you do your bench press you're going to get stronger yeah you do this amount of reps for mobility you're gonna get more mobile. Yeah. Like, it's pretty simple. Like I've um, done all the programming around it with the strength and conditioning background to it. So this yeah. amount of reps, we need to progress yeah. this amount of time. I find people like get into their morning routines with their stretching, but they just do the one or two stretches. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of similar to doing push ups and sit ups every day, the same reps. Yeah. yeah. Like there's gonna to get to a point where that doesn't do anything anymore to you.
1: Yeah. One thing I've I've realized when I'm at my again, where everyone talks about morning routines and I have a morning routine, but when I talk about my optimal morning routine, when I'm doing everything I want to be doing to feel feel my best and perform my best, stretching mobility has always been a part of that for me. And I don't know if there's any science in this. I'm sure you've you've had a firsthand experience, but like whenever I'm looser and more flexible, I, f- I genuinely feel like it affects my mental health. I feel better. I'm more relaxed. I'm more calm. Have you had experiences like, is there any science to back that up or?
0: I don't know the science, but like, I just think about like as you get old, if you were, if I was to tell you how does an old person look, you'd f- go like this and you'd bend, you know you're you're not as open. so when your body's moving right, I just feel like you feel young again. Like there's guys that I've had that obviously haven't touched their toes ever in their life, and now they're doing it. So sometimes they think, I'm just born this way, it's just my genetics, I'm tight, but there's a way to actually train to it. So yeah, yeah just getting that thing out of their head. As well, and then when you prove it to them, because at the start I take a before photo, and then each every couple of weeks I do a like a photo, and they're like, and I go, Oh, look, now you can touch your toes on yep. now. Your couch stretch looks like this, yeah. And that's a, a super important part. Like, I stole that from the before and afters of fitness, yeah, like where they're yeah. fat and then they're skinny, yeah. I'm like, how can I implement because people stretch but they don't see any results because it's hard to measure, right? So I've sort of put a system in place where, look, this is where we're working, and then they look at their before and I was like, oh, I'm, bu- I'm buying into this for 100%. I'm to do it every day now. Yeah. yeah.
1: And um, with mobility, why, it's becoming more important because everyone spends so much time either sitting in the cars driving, a lot of people sit all day and work, they're hunched over looking at a screen. Are our lives becoming worse for, like, the human natural state? Do you feel like we need to step more into intentionally doing things that are good for our body because if you look at the way humans used to live 100 years ago even 50 years ago it's becoming worse and worse and like that bone at the back of your neck is becoming have you seen the studies becoming more protruded because people are always looking at their phones now that back the bone at the back of your neck is sticking out so much more have you realized that and do you think that's fucking why mobility is so important as well
0: yeah I coached my um, son's soccer team yeah and um, we've done a bit of a mobility warm-up yeah and I looked at them and they're really bad like <laughs> yeah. some movements they were like oh yeah uh, they should be a bit more limber than yeah. this but yeah and I think it is from that technology like mm. you're on your phone you're bent over yeah right and then um, obviously they're on the computers all day as well so I think just something to counteract that is good for them as well yeah
1: now What else I'm really interested in, you've done a lot of things, you know, pushing yourself to grow mentally, physically. Talk to me about some of the other things that you've learned along the way and some of the other really good daily like practices or routines or things that you you can lean on or use at certain times. I know you've worked with Wim Hof. I'd love to hear about your experience and some of the benefits you've got from from that sort of work.
0: Yeah, Wim Hof was good. Um, I feel like it's a good tool to use when I need it. Um, It's not something I do every day but I know, I know I've know i got it in my back pocket sort yeah. of thing. And, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I went to the one where he came to Sydney and met yeah. him, got the photo and all that, that's done sick. the breath work. <laughs> and, yeah, it's super crazy, and um, especially for a first-timer that when you do it, I think the um, good thing about it is it gives you an instant response. Mm. Like you only need to do it for two minutes, and then you can feel it working, whereas mobility I might need to do a couple of sessions before, you know. Mm. So it's got that instant. that's why I felt like it took off so so good, and it's so easy to do. You don't yeah. need no equipment. You're just breathing in and out. And
1: for people listening at home that aren't aware of it, it, it it's pretty simple, right? Can you explain kind of how you do the standard Wim Hof, like the morning breath work routine?
0: So it's just 35 breaths, and it's 100% breath in. so, And then just a normal let breath out. So, And it's just that 35 times. And then on your last breath, you um, inhale 100%, let it out, and then you hold your breath on the out mm. breath. And then, yeah, I did four minutes. 30 seconds, I think, just on an out breath, holding my breath. Yeah. Wow. And then you sort of get the tingles because you're oxygenating your body and it's like you've had like two cups of coffee, I feel. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's mental, man. There's so many things that are on my list to do and like I just need to give myself, allocate the time in my routine to do this sort of stuff because I just know it's going to fucking change my life. What are some of the other things you've done? I know you've you've gone out of your way to do a lot of training. Is there anything else or diets or routines or things that you've picked up along the way?
0: Probably tried every diet. Yeah. Um, what else? Did yeah, carnivore I, for a while. Yeah, right? did carnivore like that. Not doing carnivore at the moment. I like meat, so aren't you vegan? A vego. Yeah. Vego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I I did that. Um, I just felt it was interesting. I was like, really can I eat meat just for yeah. whatever. And Joe, I, are uh, you still doing that, Joe?
1: Um, not 80, yeah, yeah. He's doing the the meat and fruit one. You know, yeah. you can Add blueberries and stuff in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I did it, and I was like, wow. Oh, it actually does work. I was like, "What happens when your body doesn't have fiber? Like, are yeah. they lying to us?" Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the
1: thing. Like, we've had a, um, we've had like multiple people with different uh, ideologies and things that they've done um, with diets and stuff. We had an actual uh, uh, dietitian on here to give proper advice which which was good to people but like I'm vejo not because I I think it's the best for everyone for me as I tried it and it fucking worked really well for me I was mm. the classic watched game changers yeah and it's like oh fuck, let me try it and I felt so much better man felt more it's it's funny I heard you speaking about some of the benefits when when you first started um on uh carnivore like clarity the same and yeah. just the same as me but all yeah. I was eating was like I vegetables but i still eat bro i ate so much carbs man my body's like a furnace i eat that shit up straight away but i've always been a big consumer of carbs carbohydrates i don't get crashes i don't i don't have problems with digestion and it works so well for me i think with diet training whatever the biggest thing and i'm fucking i'm not a qualified person giving advice but is try different things and find what works best for your own body right
0: yeah exactly there's six billion people in the world there's not going to be one right answer for all of us We're all built differently we'll always have different Microbiomes in our stomachs and everything, but, yeah, you know, different lineages and everything. So, yeah, I reckon just choose whatever works for you. Yeah, yeah. Don't get down to that like cult status. Nah, no, you like, need to go like that way or that way, you know, because that's when it gets a bit. That's when know, it gets messy, bro,
1: and and that's when everyone like can can go wrong. And and when some of these elimination damage or, or limitation diets can become damaging is when you take it to the extreme and you're like pushing your body to the place that it isn't good. You've got to always be able to listen to your body. If you're doing a, a, a vegan diet or you're doing a carnival diet, listen to your body, observe the science it's giving you. If it's giving you good feedback, then maybe it's okay to continue doing it. Um, I want to change the pace a bit because there was something you, you've spoken about and I think it's really interesting and it's really important. It's the identity crisis athletes have when it's their time to step away from the game. Yeah. Um, talk to me about what that process can be like for an athlete. Um, and then what they can do to kind of, you know, really thrive in the next phase of their life.
0: Yeah. That's massive, massive Massive. thing for an athlete. Um, you like myself, 10 years trying to be an NRL player, you have other guys who have their whole life revolves around footy, your whole routine of your day, your week, Mm -hmm. your month and your whole year is, um, through footy. So um, when you go out of that, I was speaking to a few like RLPA, which they look after the yeah. players, the transition transitioning period. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that identity of I identify as a footy player, now it's taken away from me. So what? who am I now? And just dealing with those questions. Even when you're, I didn't even play in RL, I nearly made it just, and then I still had that identity. I was like, I'm a footy player. But now who am I? Mm. I think it's a scary, like, question for yourself because you're like, what the – because – or during my career, like, I was just like, I just want to be an NRL player. I don't want to be anything else. Mm. And um, then you get to the end and like, oh, okay, what am I going to do now? And then you go on another journey. But some players don't. They just, I don't know, go into their shell, um, yeah. go down the pression routes and sort well, of things like that well, as well.
1: Look at the really recent example of Paul Green, mm, right? Like, exactly. was a coach. That's who we thought he yeah, was. That's all he thought he could be. Um, massively. Um, as someone who spent a lot of time, like, in the footy scene, and I'm sure he still mates with a lot of footy players. What What do you think, where is like the mental health space in terms of like rugby league players now?
0: They're doing a way better job through the NRL and the RLPA on helping players and having those support systems. That's the main thing. Um, you got to have like ex-players being able to speak to players coming out of their careers and stuff like that. I think just having someone to talk to that's gone through it is like a super, super thing. Cause you don't think it's ever going to get better. Because I spoke to my mate, um, who's like one of my best mates. He played NRL. And then it's a funny feeling because he was speaking about like, where else were you going to get a feeling that you're running out to 50,000 screaming people, like screaming your name, wanting you to win, wanting you to lose? Like where else are you going to find that in life? Like those highs, like where are Mm -hmm. they going to come from? Um, We spoke about trying to find something better than footy after your career, so just like going down maybe passion routes of what you want to know, but trying to set them up before during your career before you transition out, and just I think the NRL and the RLPA are doing a lot better with players transitioning because you you know you don't want those see those top players go into depression, but obviously with um, the coaches as well, they need it as well. Yeah,
1: you know. Was that something you were actively considering when you're like the back end of your rugby league career, or you had a you you finished and then you kind of had a period of what the fuck do
0: I do? Finished and what the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck am I doing? Like, I went overseas to do two years in France. Oh, yeah. How was that experience? Yeah, that was awesome. Like, done that travel thing around sort of Europe and see what that lifestyle was like. So, that was when I knew my career was over. Like, I'm not chasing in around, I'm just playing because. I don't know what to do with my life. Did you kind of um, enjoy
1: it more with the pressure off your back playing or was it different without the hunger? uh, It was different.
0: I wasn't at my best, I felt. It was harder. And then I came back to Sydney and I went – play some A-grade, right? Yeah, and yeah. I was horrible. I was unfit. I yeah. wasn't at my best because I hadn't been training the yeah. amounts that I used to. Yeah. And then I'd done my Achilles. <laughs> I oh, was like, no. yeah, that's me. I'm done. Yeah, I couldn't walk for like two months because I tore my Achilles. I was on crutches. I couldn't work uh, work, and all that stuff. And I was killer. So just just to finish me off footy, just you wanted to give me one injury. last
1: injury. But do, do you think the, the injuries that you experienced throughout your career like led you, like I know you, you found the lower back thing and that's kind of what you got into it. But do you think going through the injuries and re- realising the suffering people go through in your career led you onto this path of becoming a, a mobility coach even if it was a little bit down the line?
0: Yeah, because I think I just understand what they're going through. Mm. Um, sometimes it's not the exercises that help, it's just that hey bro, I've been through this as well, this is what I've done and this is what I felt like. I Even just yesterday I was speaking to someone, I think he did um, a shoulder and, he's like, and I just told him this is what's going to happen, you're going to have your good and bad days and him just to lean on me, I feel like and like give a positive effect to that guy's life. Yeah. And just and he's not playing in NRL or anything. Yeah. He's just a normal footy player. So yeah. whatever injuries are happening at NRL, there's like 10 times more injuries happening in the lower oh, grades as sure. well.
1: What is your advice to people that, you know, might have a se- seasoning injury, like my brother ACL or a shoulder, Rico, they need to get done. And, then, and I'm not talking about the highest grades, reserve grade, you know, NRL, like park footy players, you know, A grade, C grade, all that sort of stuff. What's your advice to someone when they're down in the dumps and struggling after an injury?
0: Um, I feel like you want to get – like a good thing to think about is, like, say I did my shoulder or my knee. How can I get this knee back to five times as strong mm. so it's never going to cause me an issue ever again in my life? I feel like people get it back to just being able to play, which yeah. is why I think they re-injure it all the time. Like, just good enough to get another game in. Like, it's still sort of sore, yeah. but how do you get it back to five times as stronger? Yeah. Like, maybe you don't, but at least it's going to be stronger than – what you were before, anyway. but
1: particularly with black like, park footy players, like maybe there is an opportunity to do it because everyone was probably taking it for granted and not doing any proper strengthening or mobility training beforehand. So there really is a possibility on the, on the injury thing while we're talking about it, I'm curious to know your, your thoughts on like the culture in the game, particularly in the higher grades, obviously of like painkillers and injections. And just as soon as you get an injury smacking back, like the, the, the everything like that, Versus, like, sure, it's good in the short term if you need to play on the weekend, but is it actually healthy long term? No. Nope.
0: <laughs> I think five, ten years ago was super bad. It was just yeah. hot painkillers, um, like tramadols, like super, like, hardcore yeah. pills, not just your local um, normal Nurofen or something. <laughs> like, these are, like, yeah, yeah. you know, another level, and they're addicting, obviously. So, yeah, playing with injections. I think the NRL has sort of tried to clean that yeah. up. Um, just all the players coming through the grades from Harold Matz and SG Board, a lot more professional now. You see like um, Clary and Luwai, you know, they've come through the grades and how professional they are now. So I think they've really cleaned that all up and they've sort of got the bad characters out of the game, like the doctors, like, you know, you have your club doctor, He can
1: pretty much prescribe you anything, you know. So I think
0: they've got those bad characters out there, and they've cleaned that up real. But like five, ten years ago, it was bad. Like,
1: did you play through many injuries and ever have to needle up to play?
0: No needles, but like I was playing on like rotten ankles, and like I just strap it up and go again. And that was sort of the culture at the time. Like, if you can
1: play, just like does does that damage you long term? Sometimes, like playing through those sorts of injuries, or
0: uh yes and no. I think it does develop a little bit of a toughness in you as well, which is probably a positive out of that negative. Um, But yeah, the body's a funny thing. Like obviously if I re-injured it, then it's super bad. But if I got a game out of it, I'd like just niggle injuries like hammies and Mm. ankles and groins and whatnot as well. Well,
1: well look at that. Like we were speaking before about the concussions, like protocols and and all the research being done on like CT and all that sort of stuff. This is more like probably the last five years it's really become a focus. But is there a sense of from the boys that came through playing whatever grade but playing a lot of footy, um, is there any concern about, fuck, are these ten times I've been knocked out going to come back to haunt me or yeah. kind of just don't can't really think about it?
0: I think some players would um, – I just think don't think the science is there at the moment yeah. to go get a brain scan and are you going to give me a definitive answer of yep, your mm. brain is – Um, not functioning properly, like I don't feel like they've got that system sorted out yet and I think James Graham I think he wanted to go do like some studies on his brain because he had been knocked out and now he's retired so he would like to you know help out in that area and I think that's all positive but I think I don't think it's going to be really good when the proper results come back. I've been knocked out myself yeah. and, like, it's, yeah, pretty scary feeling as
1: well. And it's interesting you mentioned James Graham, how his attitude shifted in the space of a year or two. When he was playing, even the back end of, of his career, he was like, nah, if I get knocked out and I want to continue to play, it should be my decision. And he was, like, the face of that and that tough old school footy mentality. But even him, yeah, recently to see him say about, yeah, we got to start treating these brain injuries properly because I – I suppose the clarity here you would get when you retire and you realize as much as footy or any sport you're playing could feel like your life because it has been for 10, 15 years, there's 50, 60 years of your life to live after sport.
0: Yeah, you're just in that footy bubble where you yeah. think footy is life mm-hmm. and my career starts when I play and then it finishes when I play. You know, That's my whole life. But then you retire and then you get a whole new perspective mm-hmm. on life, um, different routines obviously um, you got a family to look after and you got, yeah, so many years to, yeah. you know, you got another 50 years to live after your footy career and that's, you know.
1: With with respect to your career, looking back on it now, do you feel like you have any regrets? And I don't mean regrets of like on-field stuff, you can't, like you're in the moment, you can't control that, more regrets around maybe your attitude in certain situations or preparation, did you prepare to the best of your ability? Do you have any regrets looking back on that, like anything you realise you, you you could have done differently or...?
0: Yeah, like heaps. That sort of was my journey after I finished. Mm-hmm. I had that chip on my shoulder. Why didn't I play NRL? Like, yeah. what could I have done? Was uh, Could I have eaten properly? Could I have trained better? And then that sort of helped me now with my mobility program. Um, but at the time, I just didn't know. I felt like I needed a mentor at the time to yeah. just say, hey, Troy, this is what you need to do to get to NRL. But I was trying to figure it out myself. Um, and I felt if I just had someone there, which I didn't, like just say, do these things and you'll probably pay in or out cause I was close. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just needed that, that figure, that, that mentor, extra, you know, just to just push me in the right direction. Maybe it could have been a coach or a teammate um, yeah. just to get me there, just to get me over the line. That's so
1: important. the importance of mentors like in, in, in young, in young people's lives, particularly young, like young males coming through, whether it be um sport or business, because we're as, as young men, we can be so um like egotistical and emotional and have that chip on your shoulder and, yeah, that's all well and good when when you're successful and things are going well. But then, like everyone does, you have those not successful periods. It really can shake your internal self worth and self belief and mental health. For me, is, is is something that's really important in my life. And I've been very lucky and very blessed. I think I don't. I think there was probably three or four months in my life, early twenties, where I, I experienced maybe some level of depression and and uh, very short period. But it scared me enough to realize I never want to go back to that place because like you were saying, like when you're in that depression, you feel like it's never going to end. Yep. What's your relationship to mental health now that you've learned everything you've learned, you have a family, you've matured. How do you, what's your relationship with mental health today?
0: Um, I sort of think of it like a bit, little bit differently. I'm like, if mental health was a, an opponent, how would you beat it? Nice. You know I what like I mean? That. So. And then you have a look at it like what are the things to make him win? What would you do? You'd have a horrible sleep. Um, you take substances. You know, how do you like reverse that? You know, don't tell people what they should do. Tell them what they shouldn't do sort of thing. Um, just another different inversion type thinking of it. So have a bad sleep. Um, be on your phone. Be on social media 10 hours a day. Like, you know, and then people are like, oh, no, I probably shouldn't do it, but I'm actually doing it. So, you know, if you see that uh, mental health as an opponent, how are you going to beat that person, okay? I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat the good food, okay, just to put myself in a right frame of mind, you know?
1: Yeah, I love that, man, and I love the way you phrase it. And I, th- I think wh- that's why all these things outside of, like, whether it's be footy or business, for example, is so important. Like one of the, the guys I don't know if you would know him, uh, maybe you, you saw into content creation, like uh, Homozi, the, yeah. the massive, he just put out a, a we, love, we love oh, We love like I'm like, oh.
0: Bro, I my, listen to
1: him every day. Yeah, oh yeah. Bro, he's, <laughs> Yui uh, introduced me to him a few months ago he's probably my favourite content creator and an absolute legend. But he came out with something, a piece of content a few a few days ago that I saw and I thought was interesting and I respect it and I I, I agree with what he means by it, but I just don't think it'll work for a fine majority of people because it's not realistic. He said, the optimal morning routine is waking up and training yourself to work straight away. Yeah. And like, I get that if you're that 0.1% that can wake up and work from the point you wake up until 10 o'clock at night and be happy, I think that's great. But I I think there's so many other things that are so important to the human experience that can put you in your best place. And rather than being depressed and miserable and working for 14 hours a day, 16 hours a day, if you can treat yourself right, give yourself an hour, two hours in the morning to do things that are going to set the intention, set your energy for the day, you'll get more shit done and you'll be much happier in 10 hours than that depressed person would be in 14.
0: Yeah, 100%. Like Mm. you can get your things done. I also see his perspective because I I heard that too. And I was like, do I have too many things? What can I take out? You know, that's what you automatically – It's like, okay, okay, can I just get to my work straight away? Like I thought about – but I also found like I think his wife said Like, she can, like, imagine if I came here and I had a bad sleep last night. Yeah. And that's pondering on my mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like you should be able to have a super bad routine in the morning, but still uh, perform as well. Like, still go to the gym. It doesn't mean you're... Um, If your morning routine goes out of whack, it doesn't mean your whole day's ruined. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's interesting, man, because I'm always like I get those thoughts and I 100% agree with him and I thought, well, there's, there's there can be phases or days in my life that, that that's the reality. But like I have that internal um like debate, I'm sure you have it too, is like am I really caring about myself or am I just being a little bit too soft and balancing that like I need to get shit done versus no, I need to care about myself and, and give myself, you know, the right amount of self-love to, you know, be my best version of myself. So it's an interesting dynamic when you're when you're out there going after something, but I think you just got to like everything. Everyone's balance is different, right? Your balance will be different to your wife's, different to Joe's, myself, you know what I mean? So finding that balance will be unique to everyone.
0: I think he really simplifies things. He yeah. wants to find the simplest version that cuts out everything to get to yeah. the result. Even like his book is super
1: like – thin like it's not yeah massive. yeah 100 mil like uh leads is that, is that the new one what's it what? offers. offers offers yeah leads is the one new one he's working on now while we're on the whole content creation thing you've been putting out epic content you're real nearly all your reels are doing really well so congratulations on that but what's your piece of advice to people when they trying to build a business off like organic content or a massive strategy of building their business off organic content as someone that's been been extremely successful by doing it
0: um first you sort of got to figure out um like the volume side can you put out enough content um because you only learn through putting out content i feel um yeah and you always there's always nuances that like the time that you post or yeah. suddenly the algorithm changes so now you've got to change out the add captions mm-hmm. like all those little things and you can't learn you can't get it perfect before you put it out you just got to put out first and then yeah. learn on the run i think that's yeah. the best thing and then it doesn't keep you so scared of what's gonna happen and like one piece of content can like skyrocket and you and you never know what the best content is. Like I th- I think, oh this post is gonna kill it. Yeah. And then it goes like shit. Yeah. And then you have one like, no oh, that's thinking and then it's like it goes good. Like so you you shouldn't be the judge of your own content. Mm. It's whatever
1: everyone else thinks. Yeah, that's we've had the same experience and I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is um, they feel like they want to get everything exactly right and everything planned out and before they before they start putting content out to the market. But as much as you do that, you're going to be right half the time. You're going to be wrong half the time. You need to just put the content out. Let the market dictate, okay, is this actually good? Is it crap? And then you'll see, like, if certain styles of videos are, are working really well, maybe I'll try make a lot of content in that space. Um Another question around the, the business structure, of, uh, like the way you, you've been able to grow a business, because there are a lot of online coaches in all different aspects of, uh, of life that are, that are trying to grow their business. For you, how important is the organic content strategy to your business? I imagine that's where a lot of people find you from your podcast, from your reels. Is, is that a core part of your business and how have you been able to grow that online business?
0: Yeah, super important. So as I put content out, that's sort of my like lead gen. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, that's one part of it, and obviously run paid ads as well, and then sort of that gets the people in. They do my mobility program, and then I try and improve on my product. I yeah. think this is from Homozi. I'm getting paid to do market research on my own product. Yeah, yeah. Like as he says, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing actually. Yeah. So I've got to keep improving my product. So. Um, it can grow like organically yeah. as well, not just like I have to pump ads and my ad spins going skyrocketing, like
1: you know. That's not sustainable though, because if you you can have a really good period where your paid ads are killing it, but if like the algorithm changes for paid ads exactly. and all your eighty five ninety percent of your business is coming from Facebook ads and now that's not working, you're kind of leaving yourself very vulnerable. Um, I'm oh, I've got so a question for you. Can yeah, I cut, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. How did
0: you go with all your stuff like on those early days? Like, yeah. I'm guessing yours was five years ago and that's yep. different than what it Very is today. Very different. What are the yeah, sort of different? Yeah. I need to get some tips from you too, bro. Very Oh, bro, we'll, we'll
1: chat off one <laughs> as much as you want. Um, bro, for us, uh, that, what I just said about um, diversifying your channels was so important to us. Early days, I'll tell you what blew, blew us up and it's so classic, but it, it, it's different today. We were in the sweet spot of influencer marketing. We could put our product yep. in the hands of almost anyone and they're going to return us three to four times what we paid them. Now that's just where influencer marketing was at the time. Over the years, influencer marketing has changed because for one reaches, organic reaches down for a lot of people, unless you're a good influencer posing with a product used to get 30, 40,000 likes. Now you really have to be a content creator. You would know that yourself. You have to really be adding value to your audience, educating them or entertaining them in a really unique way. It's not going to cut through just holding a picture up of whatever product you're marketing. So that was massive. And being a, what our, influences did you sort oh, of? Bro, heaps, man. Like yeah. we've worked with hundreds. Like we've worked with like the Hembrows before. I think we were with Alex Twell, like some footy players. I was yeah, yeah. trying to hit. Our, our, our strategy was to work with as many different in- influences as we can um, in different like market segments, but we do it at a time. So for example, if there are a click of influences, which there were that were based around like the Brisbane area, and you know a lot of their followers would overlap, we would try and plan out about 10 to 15 influences that in that click that pocket of um, where like their followers would overlap a lot. They'd all yeah. hang out, you know, create content together. Like Michael Finch, that makeup guy, and all that click back in the day was a big one. We'd work with 10 of them over the space of like a month or two. And then the first time they'd see it, it's great. And then they're constantly being reinforced by this product, but all their favorite influences. And you do that up to a certain uh, a, a, a certain extent, and then because that group of people has been really saturated with your product, it starts to become less effective. Then we identify what's a new market that we can go after. Then it would be some athletes because that was another – it didn't last as long for us, but were, we were really good with like working with fitness influencers because they want to be hairless on stage. They want to have smooth skin. They've got no shirts on, always at the gym. So then that would work with us. Another thing we then did was like, okay, look at the young mums, the whole young mum thing. So we would spend a, a couple of months really focusing on like yeah. a, a core demographic, nailing down on that. And then when it was starting to become less effective, because we'd just hit like a level of saturation, we'd move on to who we could target next. Yeah, it's good when you hit one It's either. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, bro, <laughs> you'd hit some, and like that's like what you said. Like you could do as much research, and after doing it for a few years, you'd you learn, man. Like yeah. you, you know what to look for, but like you'd you'd find some influencers, and you'd pay them five grand, and they'd return like two sales. And like, yeah. Fuck. And then you'd pay another influencer a thousand dollars, and they'd return you thirty thousand. Yeah, it's and crazy. You're just like, huh? How does this work, man? But yeah, it's, um, it's changed heaps, bro. Like if you want to be successful with marketing on social media today, you got to do it like you. you got to be creating valuable content. And it's all video content now. It's TikTok reels. Like that's the best way I feel. Um, well, how did you go with like scaling up the amount of content you said? That's what you got to do. Identify, hey, how much can I actually do? What was like a bit of an unlock for you that allowed you to, to level up that side of your business? Just planning the structure
0: mm-hmm. behind it. I feel like sometimes I've freestyled it content and it just hasn't come out right but when I have my structure there I know what I'm going to say obviously um, yeah exercise content works well for me so I know I need to do like five exercises when I go do my workout I have a mate that I work out and we film each other Um, got a good camera slowly upgraded the equipment and that made me feel better even though more confident behind my content that I was putting out Um, and then yeah that real planning and then just doing it getting the five bits of content and then editing it all myself learning all that and i got help now from a guy who edits my stuff he used to film my stuff but then he moved to japan yeah and it killed my life (laughs) because i didn't have a film and an editor and so but now i send my stuff towards him i send my podcast to him as well and he cuts Mm. up um we try to get three to five good clips out of a podcast like this yeah add on the captions and yeah. you know, a little hook in there yeah, as well yeah, and all that exactly. sort of stuff. You know what I mean?
1: And, and I've been going through the journey with the boys as well with my, obviously we've been focused mainly on the last few months was on the podcast content, but also uh, for a while, like there's a, there's a big thirst for like anything e-commerce knowledge. How did you do it? Some strategies. Cause it's always changing and so many people are looking to start businesses and we've had days where like we're going, we're driving to a meeting and I'm like, Oh, let's just film me talking in the car. Like ask me some questions. And it was the same because I have really high standards. If I'm going to put out a piece of content, what I had to realize is I'm not Gary V, who like Gary Vee, you can record him at any point of the day and it's a clip. I'm not. It's
0: going to get a million views. I'm not there yet.
1: I need to, and that's the thing I learned about myself. I'm like, no, we need to take the time to plan it. What do we want to say? What's the point of this clip? And then think what's the value for the audience? Otherwise, if you're freeballing it, it's just so hit or miss, man. Like particularly if you're early on, like if you're like a, fucking been expert, been doing this, speaking on stage, just putting out content for 10 years. Yeah, you can probably get away with it. But when you're earlier on in your journey, I think planning it out is so important.
0: Yeah, a bit of self-awareness in there. And then context to the situation as yeah. well. Like, we're not Gary Vee and we uh, can't just put out anything. Nah. And he's been speaking. He's like got 20 years business experience mm. as well and he's around the superstars and yeah. there. you can get away with anything. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If you've got a bit of fame, I feel like you can get away with it. Oh yeah. yeah. Like but when you're building like, your audience, yeah. you have to be really
1: good, man. You have be to be good. really good. Yeah, you
0: may as well sharpen up on the
1: production quality yeah. and that as yeah. well. I, th- I feel. And how is for you, I, I checked out your like results page. Um, We had Jade Spooner on, I don't know if you know her from Equolution, um, which is essentially like a, a programming for dieting and massive thing for them was their before and after and transition photos. Is that, really affect like is, does that work really well for you when people are coming to check you out say oh here's our results page and people would stretch here now it's here and yeah that's my number one like yeah. lead gen is
0: the results um i use that for everything yeah and i've made my own page so people can go there and that's sort of like if i want to try and build the brand bigger than myself. Yeah. I just want to have that, try and just building in the background in yeah. case I need a pivot somewhere. Yeah. Um, also, it's good to have another page because you never know when Instagram's going to ban you. For something. <laughs> I had yeah. a mate get banned recently and like he can't do anything. And I'm like, really? And I wasn't even for anything that bad.
1: So Bro, not even anything that bad. We <laughs> just had our YouTube account taken down for how long? Like a month? More? Six weeks for nothing. Yeah. For nothing. It was, uh they, they, Got flagged for like the worst breach of terms that you could get, and we were chatting to people at Google and YouTube the whole time, trying to get them to fix it. They look into it, we, bro. No warnings, no strikes. There's no, no one it's a to po- talk to when nothing, it gets bro. banned either. Nah.
0: Like, who do you talk to? They, they oh, all try to palm you off to anyone yeah. else,
1: you know. And like, it's all general. Like, first you got to get through the robots, and then if you get through the robots, they don't know what they're fucking doing anyway. <laughs> do you know what worked for us? If you ever get an account banned on YouTube, I don't know if it works for the same for the other things. Um, you have to at them, like, call them out on Twitter. Because they aren't aren't controlling that platform, uh, they can't. Right size. It. We we called him out on on Twitter. It's like not called him out. It's like, hey, this is what's happened. Can you guys fix it? Not, you guys aren't doing anything. Couple like a week later, they count back up. A bit of social pressure. That's good. Yeah, because
0: yeah, they had that um, uh, big YouTuber Steve It. Mm-hmm. He's like an out. Oh, boy. bro, yeah. He got banned and like for,
1: for what? He didn't even really do it. Like he's been doing the same wild shit for years. Yeah, has yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: been. Um, he gives out a lot of money and everything, and he yeah. does some pretty good content. A, a lot of his
1: YouTube stuff is giving back. It's just, that's the thing that scares me about the way the world's going on. Oh, it's a bit off topic, but like the control some these of these, topics, uh, the control that <laughs> these big, um, these big organizations can have over everyone's life. Like they're more powerful than the government's now, bro. Like you control the information, you control the narrative, you control who you can speak on any topic, then that's more power than any government really has.
0: Yeah. That's why I sort of trying to um, get my awareness on TikTok as well. Just in case my Insta gets banned for whatever reason, yeah. I've got TikTok there. Yeah like try and capture some emails and like just diversify myself a little bit just smart. for that safety, you smart, know, Because like, it's hard. Like I do not want to start from zero again. Yeah. I know I can, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. no way.
1: <laughs> and that's the thing is all like, we, we, we're pretty open with everything we talk about here, but it's like some things you, you, you put, you're you going to put a piece of content and you think, oh, is this going to cause trouble? or Yeah, exactly. And you start? don't know,
0: and then mm. you don't even know if we've accidentally said something like. Bro. you don't know until after. Mm-hmm. Like, what did, did I actually say that about? That's the, what the, we were. Like, you never know,
1: bro. That's what we were thinking about. <laughs> um, because we had we got one bad review on the podcast. Um, because we had a guest on, and um, this chick wasn't the dietitian, but she was speaking about her um experience, and person didn't a- a- agree with it, and they put it on somebody. Oh, the host is excellent and engaging. Um, but the the, the guest is putting out dangerous information. Fully respect that. I'm not I'm not hating on that, but we were thinking, yeah, you're right to put whatever you want. But my thing was like, fuck, did we get flagged for that conversation? Like, did we not realize that something bad was said and we're putting out fake information about dieting and eating disorders? But no, it was just nothing, bro. Yeah,
0: that's like, you just never know what you say. That's why I try not to judge people when I see them on social media. Even yeah. if they say the most stupidest thing, I'm like, man, I've probably said some stupid things so I can relate to that yeah. as well. Like, I'll wait till I meet you then uh, no, yeah, form yeah, yeah, a decision. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
1: um we're conscious time over the hour. Let me ask you a couple last questions and we'll wrap this bad yep. boy up because we could keep going for another hour, I'm sure. A um, couple things I like to ask people because um, I like to really hear their their, their answer, particularly you. You've, you've gone through a pretty unique life compared to a lot of people. I want to know what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten and then what's the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? <sighs> best
0: piece of advice.
1: That's a tough one. You could have told me <laughs> more warning for that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: Best piece of advice, I don't know who it was from or where it came from, but just make sure you're doing enough reps, either in the gym, in business, mm. to actually move the needle yeah. before you worry about anything else. Like, you know, that's a really simple one. Like, yeah. am I even doing enough reps in that exercise to make myself grow? And you can apply that to, yeah. you know, all different areas.
1: Like Essentially, that's like what Gary V talks about. He like, you know... He, if you really know Gary Vee and I've spent a lot of time with him, like a lot of the hate he gets is like, he's promoting hustle culture, but he's not, he's promoting, like he says, if you're complaining about how shit your life is and you're not putting in the work, why are you complaining? Like you're in control, put in the work first, like get that grind in and then start to look, okay, how can I refine the little things? But first putting in the reps for whatever it is, business, sport, training, mobility. If you're not putting in the work as the first step, people don't want to hear it, but, Putting in the work's the most important part, bro. Exactly. Yeah, and then on the spot, worst advice. Do you remember anything that worst stands advice? out?
0: Worst <sighs> advice. I can't. I can't. Can't think of anything. It's hard on the spot. Eh? Yeah, definitely hard on the spot. Maybe I don't know what a training one would be. Um, I can't even think of a training one. We've probably done. Done a lot of. Bad you did the bad bounce without <laughs> getting given it, and no, we'll
1: move on. We'll, we'll do one last question, which I don't ask all the time, but. I'd like to ask you is looking back at everything you've done. It can be from footy, it can be career, family life, whatever. What moment or achievement are you most proud of?
0: The moment I left my gym job to go online and work for myself was probably the yeah, best moment, wow. um, one of them anyway. So, um, yeah, just being independent. Um, yeah, it was amazing. Like I, uh, had been working for someone or, you know, you're having yeah. a boss your whole life and now. I get to, you know, do everything by myself, my own time and um, whatever I want to do now.
1: It's incredible. Congratulations on that, man. I know it's the same thing for me when we launched the business, my whole goal, we launched the business in April of 2018. My whole goal for the entire year was just me and my business partner who I launched the business with was just to be able to quit my full-time job that I hated um, and work on this full-time. And the moment you achieve that, and that's what people say. I'm not, when I come on here and we have people on, I'm not telling people to quit their job or everyone needs to have a business. But if you feel that urge for more freedom, like start figuring out what can you do on the side, like built around a passion, whether it be mobility. Okay, start putting out that content, feel it on weekends, on, on after work, until you get to the point where you can make that leap and it's going to be scary. But like you said, when it, when it comes off, it's the most rewarding thing you've, you've ever done, I imagine. 100%, bro, yeah. 100%. On that note, we'll leave it there, bro. Thank you so much, Troy, for coming on. Um, before we finish up, let everyone know where's the best place to find you uh, on socials or your website and let everyone know about uh, what your podcast is and where they can find it.
0: Just coach Troy Savage on Instagram is probably the best way. And you then I everything. have links and everything. Yeah. Find everything. Yeah, um,
1: We'll link we'll link all your stuff as well for anyone interested in uh, checking Troy's stuff out. Doing my research, uh, I save so much stuff off your profile. So there's a lot of stuff I'm going to be doing. And legit, bro, I think I need to do some uh, mobility because I think quality of life will go up if i invest a bit of time into that
0: got you bro all
1: right there we go thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode could you please do me a quick favor and hit the follow or subscribe button i honestly appreciate it more than you know thanks again and i'll see you next time